Our scripture this morning is Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 1 through 12. The resurrection of Jesus. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. They then remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. I always enjoy Easter because it's a uh, high visitor-oriented service. And visiting churches, especially in the Baptist world, is always a unique experience. So if it's your first time here, welcome. Uh, because if you've been to one Baptist church, you've been to one Baptist church. Who knows what the next one's going to be like? Uh, and, and the women in our story went to go visit a place and had a very unusual, unexpected day. And it's kind of fitting because it had been an unexpected weekend uh, I want to give some context to where we are in the story. So, you know, we've had a Good Friday with Jesus' crucifixion. Um, and there was a lot of unusual things about that crucifixion. Because Romans love to um, use crucifixion as a fear tactic uh, to those who kind of stood up to them, who tried to rival them. And so what they would do is they wanted to make a public spectacle. So they would, would hang you up on a cross and want you to die a slow, 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 agonizing death for as long as possible. And so one of the unique things about our story is that Jesus had been flogged and, and, and whipped and, and beaten so much that he was so bloody in our story, which wouldn't have been typical, that he died very, very quickly. And that's a part of the story is they're confused like, oh, he's already passed. Uh, but usually they wanted it to be this really long suffering thing. And the other thing is they let that body kind of sit there as a deterrent to anyone walking by and there'd be a plaque about what they had done wrong to let everybody know, don't you dare do this. And so in our story, they ask and they get permission to take his body down 
And they're able to do it before nightfall, and they, they go and they find a tomb for him, which is usually much more care than probably most people that were crucified were given. And so we have these unusual circumstances that allowed on a Friday Jesus to not only have died, but also to be buried before Sabbath started. And Sabbath was really important, and so you weren't supposed to work on Sabbath. So you get the feeling from the end of Luke chapter 23 that the women had some spices and they wanted to go and prepare his body and, and do this nice, this nice gift to Jesus, but they ran out of time. Sundown happens, it's Sabbath, you can't work. So they have to take Friday night through Saturday night off for Sabbath. And so what we get in our story is Sunday morning when they're able to work again, when they're able to stop from the resting, they get up and they go on their way to go take care of Jesus. And I want to mention that while there's a lot of unexpected, unusual things in the story, the fact that the women are so faithful in the story is altogether usual. While the men disciples kind of had their own issues and disappeared and maybe are afraid for their lives to stay close to Jesus, the women are there throughout that story at the cross and at the tomb. And so when they arrive early that Sunday morning, they had an unusual encounter. I want you to think about the last time you've, you've forgotten where something is. It's a very confusing state because you're like, I should know where that is. Where on earth could my keys be? It shouldn't be this hard. Where on earth is that remote? There's only a few places the remote should be. Why have I, like, where is it? Well, imagine losing a body. That's a confusing situation. And they are in no state, whether it's the women in the story, the men disciples, they aren't going to Sunday morning thinking about resurrection. They are grieving a loss, and then they're like, now what? Where on earth is his body? And they are perplexed, and I love that the text gives us that kind of word. They're perplexed about what on earth is happening. And so uh, the way Luke talks about it is they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body, and while they were perplexed about this, something else perplexing happened. Two dazzling clad men showed up, and apparently that was terrifying. So maybe you should be careful about what you pick for your attire for the day, men. No, uh, the, these two men, I think Luke does a few things. In the Transfiguration story, we get these two kinds of uh, uh, unique, angelic kind of men that show up, uh, and we see them here at the resurrection, and then on the Ascension story, Luke will do the same thing. Uh, so it's this angelic presence to talk about some sort of unusual, unique, spiritual moment. And they ask, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. I want to make a quick note, um, in part because this is kind of unique to Luke. Uh, the, the people say, remember that he told you. And he's talking to the women. Not remember that he told the disciples. Like they're uniquely special apart from these women. But he told you about all of these things. So even the women in the story are fully included in the story. Because that is Christ's work. To be inclusive 
and not exclusive. And what I think is important, one of the important things in the story, there's so many, is there's experiential learning happening here. What happens is, is they experience something and then they have to reflect on it and understand what it is. You know, you, it's like when you do some sort of hands-on activity and then, and then later you reflect on what it is that you're doing. It's a very different kind of learning strategy. Um, we're used to, especially in church environments, let's keep teaching the stories, let's just keep teaching the doctrines of the faith ideas and hope that eventually you're going to want to go out in the world and do things and you'll volunteer for this or that. But in the Gospels, it's flipped. It's an invitation to an experience. Hey, come and see. It's an invitation to encountering things you can't understand and then say, hey, what's going on here? Hey, remember when he told you that thing about this and this and that? Here's what's happening here. Uh, But but he had already told them that, and they had no clue what was going on. Despite what Jesus had told them, they went into that day with no awareness. But it's the experience of this presence, it's the experience of an empty tomb that starts to get the wheels turning, where they start thinking about, what on earth do I do with this experience? And so, that's really why it's so important for us to be about service. That's why like, things like personal care are so important because it's an invitation for someone to experience our faith in action. It's why it's important to invite people to our, our food pantry moments. It's important to um, invite them to experiences where then we can say, what on earth is happening here? Because um, we can kind of get wrapped up in a game where we don't feel ready to go out and do God's work. Like, I got to learn A through Z before I graduate to a disciple who can actually be about what God's doing in the world. And the disciples continuously in our gospel stories get everything wrong. But they're along for the journey. They're along for the experiences of the divine at work in everyday lives. And Jesus gets to spend time with them trying to help them understand what on earth just happened. And sometimes even that reflection doesn't fully take hold, and it takes another experience and another experience, but, but there's so much reflective learning based on experiences in our Gospels. And so we find these women who've had this really strange experience, and now they have to go talk about that. And I appreciate that the story doesn't, you know, we talked about you know, Christ told you, and that the women are included in that, Christ told you. But there's also no message in Luke's version of go tell the disciples, as if they're just the errand runners to the people who really need to hear the story. It's, hey, Christ told you, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then they can't help but go and share that story, because of course you want to share the story. So they go and they run to the disciples, But it doesn't necessarily go as they expect when they want to share their story. And so maybe you've heard somebody talk about uh, that that in the ancient courtroom, women's testimonies didn't count. 
And so this is a story of great extravagance of, look, look, their testimonies count. And I think that's going on in the text, but we shouldn't ignore the fact that the men in the story still don't listen to them. So it's still an example of their witness not actually being treated like it's valid in the story. So they come and they, they share what's happened. Uh, and, and I want to point out the disciples in the story don't mention, you know, we don't get this really positive response where it seems like they perfectly understand or believe based on their stories. Um, Paul gives us the earliest resurrection story because his letters are before the Gospels, uh, like chronology-wise. And he tells the Easter story in 1 Corinthians 15, and nowhere in it does he mention in his appearance kind of language that he appeared to these women in the story. So the women get diminished also in his, his version. And yes, as a man, I can talk about the fact that we still struggle with listening and believing women's stories as much as we should. Uh, and that has been all over your news channels for the last year. Um, their story is still our story, and we're still in the midst of that story. And so they come and they share what had happened. And Luke uses a specific fun word here of um, what the disciples consider their stories. Our translation said that they were idle tales. And that leros, Greek term, sometimes means nonsense. Sometimes it gets this idle talk language. Sometimes it's trash. Sometimes it's words I probably shouldn't say up front here. And so they think they're just talking nonsense, just idle tales. And what's interesting is we kind of get in the same conversation. We, when we talk about Easter, we often get into, let's argue about that day 2,000 years ago exclusively. We talk about what on earth happened, which is really interesting because the Gospels have very different forms of what to say about what happened at the, that resurrection morning. Um, it's interesting that no, no gospel tries to tell you what happened at that mo- in the moment. It's kind of after the fact. Uh, Paul and John and Luke and Matthew and Mark, they're all wrestling with what, what on earth does it mean to be resurrected and, and spiritual bodies or physical bodies. And Well, you can touch the wounds, but he, he can go through, a do- like through locked doors and through walls and he can show up and then dis- disappear and people recognize him and they don't recognize him. They're all struggling with what on earth does resurrection look like? And in our own world, we can get stuck in those, those debates as well. We get stuck on scientific conversations all about a day 2,000 years ago. But I want to point out that we need Easter to be real every day. And we get so lost on just trying to recreate a 2,000-year-ago day that we lose the fact that Easter is an opportunity, an invitation, an experience that we all get to live and can live every day. And so sometimes we keep asking, you know, was it an idle tale? Instead of asking, is it an idle tale? Even if I were to just kind of cognitively believe that something happened that day, is it affecting me today? Like, am I in fact just making it an idle tale today because I'm not doing anything based on this? Is it, is it fruitless in my life? Or am I actually living like this matters? And so I think Easter's an everyday holiday. 
not just a once a year thing. Every day is holy and capable of good news. Every day is holy, capable for good news to the poor, to the broken, to the outcast, to the oppressed, to the powerless. Every day is holy where tombs of all kinds can be emptied. Tombs might be of depression or isolation or lacking purpose or insecurity, but those tombs can be opened. Every day is holy and there's an opportunity for new life, for new beginnings, new journeys in the community of God's faithful ones. Every day is the Easter holiday, holy and full of resurrection. So I want to ask for, our, for ourselves today, is the gospel an idle tale for you? In the sense that you know the story, but, but are we actually moved by the story? Does it cause us to move? Because I think that when the good news becomes personal, you can't help but be moved. When it moves from that abstract thing to the experienced thing, you can't help but be moved. And so I think what that means is we need to understand our own personal empty tombs. You know, what, what are the empty tombs of your own life? What are the graves that looked like all was lost and all was hopeless? Um, for me, a few of my empty tombs, as a, as a young boy with a, losing a father, uh, one of those tombs was isolation, lack of connection. You know, being cut off from people. Is that human existence? Separation, brokenness, lack of relationships. One of the tombs that forms as you get into that is depression, where you feel hopeless, you feel like there's no new life, no new opportunity, and it gets dark and very, very, very dark. Your tomb might be uh, unreflective faith. For me, as I was working through my own tombs, my faith, like the faith of the child, wasn't enough to answer the questions of the, of the gravity of the graves that you were wrestling with. And so being willing to ask questions and to be open to the experience of God that was bigger than just the God of my tiny childhood faith. And so there were real graves, there were real tombs, where I was angry at God, because when you're in a grave, you're pretty angry, you're upset. Why am I in this place? But for me, there was a realization that God was in there grieving with me. That while I was angry with God, God was also angry and frustrated that of all the brokenness, and as a part of the healing, and as a part of the restoration, and at some point, you have the invitation to say, okay, God, I want to be a part of that. And instead of sitting in the empty, sitting in those, those tombs with stones blocking them, that God has opened up those tombs and invites you to go out of those tombs, but not just to be in the bliss out of the tombs, but to help other people get out of the tombs. Uh, there's some beauty in, uh, we could do a whole big sermon on this, but there's, 
Western iconography about the resurrection and there's Eastern versions of how do you paint the story of the resurrection. And in the West, it's usually Jesus lifted his arms up, like touchdown or something, you know, like celebration. And we usually kind of like, oh, hero Jesus, like just believe in the one that, and, and just think about that one who's, who's saved us. But I really appreciate that the Easter picture um, in, in the Eastern tradition is usually Jesus hands down, lifting people up, lifting them out of the graves that they're in. Uh, and usually humanity is pictured uh, with their wrists not particularly strong to say, like, we can only do so much. And yet Christ is going to lift you out of the pits, lift you out of whatever tomb you're experiencing. And my prayer is that we, we, we don't forget about our present-day Easter experiences um, because those personal experiences of that Easter, of that day, are what set us on fire for God, what make us want to be excited and want to be a part of God's mission and want to show up and be a part of new life. And I appreciate that our story ends with Peter and his kind of courageous run with it kind of self being the only one who in this story hears that news and gets up and runs to the tomb. And he goes home amazed at what had happened. And we don't get any much, you know, we don't get clarity of what exactly he believes, what exactly he knows. But he had the energy and the excitement to at least go running towards something. And I hope that each of you have a personal empty tomb story. You have things that you recognize, God has gotten me out of this. God has has saved me from this. God has given me new life. And that it's something that you're willing to share and that you're excited to share because people want to run to those kinds of things. Sometimes we get framed so much talking about the experiences we never had of let me just tell you about 2,000 years ago. Um, but let me tell you about how 2,000 years ago is still happening today. How it still affects me and how it's still doing something today. And so I hope that we can invite people to experience the empty tombs of this world with hope moving that stone from the entrance of, of the graves that people live in. If you're here, and you're in the midst of some experiences that feel like dark tombs, because like I mentioned earlier with prayer, people are here in very different situations. If you're here and you feel like life is a dark tomb, I hope that you hear that you are loved, both by us, but by God. And I want us to be a community, and I want you to know that we're a community who will be praying for you, who will be there for you, who want to see that stone roll away from whatever hurt you were living in. So you can get out, get some fresh air, see what new life is like. If you're here and you've never had a faith experience to run to, a tomb to see opened up, I, I just ask that maybe you would get some courage to just be able to share that of saying, I've never, I've never had that experience. Um, whether that's me or whether that's somebody that you feel close to, 
Um, because I, I think that people, when they're reflective and they're looking for it, there's plenty of empty tomb experiences that they can point you towards. Uh, sometimes that's things like personal care of someone who's on their last dollar and needs something and who is more grateful and more generous of, hey, here's some other, like, can I give you anything? Uh, invite you to some experiences where you can see God at work, where you can see empty tombs at work. And if you're looking for that, I, I ask that you just, just let us know. Um, just ask and say, hey, I'd love to find those experiences. If you're here and you've, you've had the empty tomb experience, you've had that spiritual resurrection experience and have felt new life, I pray that, that you wouldn't just sit on your own personal story, but that you'd think about it, you'd reflect on it because you want to share it and share how your faith has made a difference. Because people need to hear how your faith makes a difference in your life. And I also pray that like Peter, you might run without abandon, just running wherever God leads you, wherever God's work might be in front of you. Because your new life comes with a purpose. It's not just new life for the sake of new life. Uh, it's new life to bring all to new life. So may Easter not be an idle tale for each of us but an everyday holiday of celebration, of renewal, of excitement. Of, and, and may us just bask in that excitement today, but realize that tomorrow and the next day and the next day are all opportunities for Easter. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are a surprising God. You surprised the people in our story, and you continue to surprise us. Lord, I just ask that you would give us eyes to look for what you are opening up, to look for how you are including those who have been excluded, to look for how you are opening up graves to new life. Lord, we have so many people who are struggling through really, really, really challenging and painful and depressing kinds of things, Lord. Lord, I just ask that you would bring your peace, your hope, your love, your joy into the midst of those struggling moments. Um, Lord, that you would just open up those tombs and that with that fresh air, we might just run to you even more. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So friends, hear this word of benediction in closing. May the loving power of God, which raised Jesus to new life, strengthen you in hope, enrich you with his love, and fill you with the joy of our faith. Amen.